it's time for another Purple Worm bonus voicemail episode. We're cracking open the post bag to see who's left us a message on the Anchor app or via email, purplewormpodcast at gmail.com. So let's get cracking with that. First up, we have a series of messages from Jason of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast podcast. So, take it away, Jason. Hey guys, sorry for the belated message. This is Jason again. The other kind of magic, I you talked a little bit about fumble tables and all, but DCC and you know how well you roll, how well your spell goes. I really like that. And you you touch you danced around it a little bit, but yeah, I, I, the other system I really like is DCC. Mind you, it takes a lot of player buy-in because the player has to accept that magic's super dangerous and it might blow up in their face. And you get that instance where the player where the other players run away from the caster as opposed to <laughs> wanting to be around the caster. But um, yeah, I really like DCC's magic as well. So want to throw that out there. Hey guys, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Just want to say I enjoyed your latest call-in episode. I still am pretty appalled by how negative I sound on some things. I'm trying to work past that. Um, and, you know, since those messages were a little bit ago, my thinking has definitely evolved since then. Um, Dave, I definitely enjoyed your thoughts on things, although I think the problem with White Box, I th- we can all agree, and you even you have to admit is, it's missing like four of the saving throws. How do you put together a game and forget to put in four of the saving, four of the five saving throws? Just doesn't make any sense. As far as fifth edition, um, I am not nearly as down. I was kind of joking about what I said about fifth edition, but I'm actually getting ready to start a game up with my son on fifth edition so I can actually play it, so I can have an educated opinion on it. And I'm quite looking forward to doing that. And as far as playing newer editions, like Pete said, fifth was the first edition he's played since first. You know, just recently Barry over at the Shadow of the Jam podcast ran second edition for Shandy, Andy, and, my, and myself. So that and that was the first time I ever played second edition. It was it was D and D. So we're gonna do three point five next, and then four, and then five. So that'll be fun. So I'm definitely open. And you know, I was kind of negative on PDQ, and I still looking through the rule book. When I read that compared to Barbarians, I like Barbarians better. Maybe it's the way the books are written. I don't know. I think that's probably it. I definitely do want to try PDQ, and I'd like to try Jaws of the Six Serpents. I think that's what it is. I'm tired. But I I would like to try Jaws and um, see. And So hopefully I can get into a game sometime with it, with an experienced PDQ GM. Take care. Hey, guys. So... You were talking about maybe doing an episode of player agency versus, well, it's not really player agency versus DM agency, but the idea of player contributions to the world and all. In Che Webster's Roleplay Rescue episode 520, he takes a call from Spencer, our buddy free throw over Keep Off the Borderlands. 
and Spencer says, "As a, well, you can go listen to it. It's the first call of the episode, or actually second, because like because Colin opens the episode. But anyway, it, it's really early in the episode, and basically Spencer says he doesn't want to have that ability in the world, and if he does influence the world, he doesn't want to know it because he wants to experience it through his character. And Che responds that he thinks letting players contribute to the world can keep them from stepping up and being DMs, which is very interesting. To some degree, I agree with Spencer. Like, John, if you think about the Colonial Gothic game you played with me, you know, when, when you're out, like, in a mystery game or an investigative game, do you want me to let you tell me? Well, tell me. I mean, there, I, there are times you could definitely do tell me what you see, but other times you really want me to paint the story for you, right? Because you want to learn through the character. So I see Spencer's point. I'm not so sold on Che's point, but he might be right. You know, are we keeping our players from being DMs? I don't know. But I think Spencer and Che, would, it would be worth reaching out to them when you do that player agency, whatever you want to call that episode, getting player input to run a campaign, getting players input during the game. It'd be interesting to get Che's opinion on that and Spencer's opinion on that, even if you like did a call to him and just insert as a clip in the show. Just a suggestion, but I thought that was very interesting and prescient. Hi, Jason. Thanks for the message about player agency slash input. Now, I can certainly see Spencer's point, you know, wanting to experience things as your character experiences things. But I do think to a certain degree that's not entirely possible because the character is existing in this world with no knowledge of RPGs or anything of our world. Whereas obviously as a player, we're, we live in this world. We've played RPGs before. We have that knowledge. Now, I can certainly see Spencer's point in to, to an extent, Chase, you know, although I don't agree that giving people an opportunity to contribute to a session prevents them from becoming games masters. Now, I think like a lot of things, it depends on if you use this idea judiciously. Now, I don't certainly don't think you should be turning all of the the sort of agency over to the players and getting them to design all of the world for you. But to the extent I personally use it, I find it difficult to imagine how if I say to a player when they go, oh, I want to wander into a tavern, and I'm like, sure, what's the tavern like? I don't really see how that's going to stop a player from becoming a GM in their own right. And not trying to sound harsh, but I think that if such a small thing is going to stop a person from becoming a GM, then how committed were they to becoming a GM in the first place? But I think like anything, it can be the idea of giving um, players agency or getting them to contribute to the background of a setting can be taken to an extreme. But when used judiciously, it can be a useful tool both to keep things interesting for the GM and also to get players invested in the setting. But I think your idea of perhaps getting Che or Spencer onto the episode where we sort of talk about this in detail is a good one. And hopefully we'll be able to look into that and see whether we can sort something out or whether we can at least get a bit of a dialogue going about that. So thank you very much for the suggestion. Yeah, cheers, Jason, for the call in. And I've got to agree with John. I, I can't see people really being put off from GMing quite so easily as in the way 
discussed. Um, and it makes me think of uh, a recommendation that I wanted to make for anybody that is kind of perhaps new to GMing or even has been a, a GM or DM for a while. Check out um, DM's Deep Dive with Mike Shea. It's a podcast and I've, I've found it pretty interesting because he's running the uh, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak for uh, a single player using a, a companion played by the DM. It's the adventure from the, uh, the D&D Essentials box set. Um, he doesn't run it how I'd run it, but then you wouldn't expect him to. But it is... Um, I found it interesting to see see how Mike's doing it and how the the guy I forget his name who's playing in it how he how he plays his character and it's definitely worth a listen and I'm kind of directing that recommendation specifically to Jason if you're listening um, you might find it helpful you know when you come to run fifth edition with with your son and um, I'll be keen to hear how you get on with that. And next up, we have a voicemail from Goblin's Henchman with some further ideas about Vancy and Magic. So, take it away. Greeting, Purple Wormers. It's Goblin's Henchman here. Just got a few points to chip in with uh, on the uh, Vancy and Magic uh, episode you just did. So, um, first up, you guys beat pretty hard on the Vancy system. I, I quite like it. I think, basically, for many of the reasons you identified, it's basically... Um, a workable system you know everyone knows where they stand more or less Um, and I think that was the principal reason Gary Gygax went with that in in the end because you know you got your slots you start at the end of the day if you've used them all up you have to re-memorize them all that sort of stuff and there's some I think there's some checks and controls in there that are are valid so you you can't just pick any spell you have to find and learn them so you know if you don't want your if you don't want the magic user you know casting endless magic missiles give him a bit of variety there so he's got other spells to choose from if um, now, I won't get into it too much, but, you know, there's the same criticism about using the same spells could be levelled at the fighter who, who just keeps using his plus two sword. Oh, why don't you use that axe? Well, it's not the best tool, is it? <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I take your point. Now, the reason why this sort of, this fancy magic sort of chimes me a bit, because I once had this idea for a, a, and I've never codified it, was this sort of idea of a plane of magic, where a magic user was connected to this plane, where it sort of rained, rained magic, and you had a conduit that linked to a pool, and as the pool filled up, you could drain from it. Now, some people have bigger pools, some people have smaller pools, some people's pools filled up uh, rapidly, some people's pools didn't ever fill up again, so once it's gone, it's gone. And, um, you know, the size of the conduit could determine it. <laughs> you know, just all these sort of, like, uh, random things. Now, and, like, clerics, for example, were people who had massive pools... But uh, so they could cast a lot of magic, but they had no magic in it. So a, a god would find them and say, "You're a good vessel for me. I'll fill your pool up, and then you could be a tool for me." Anyway, the the upshot of that was that it was far too quiet. <laughs> the reasons they've been codified is well, it's quite a good sort of, if you dare I say, it, sort of novel idea for magic. You know, as in a written novel, but in a game, it's going to be pretty complicated to define. You probably have to exclude the extremes and say only these kinds of players can be a or PCs could be a magic user. Um, now, sort of flipping the coin on that, I recently wrote a rules light 1D6 magic system, which I called SMART, because it's, it's an acronym. I think it was skill, magic, armor, 
um, resilience and thievery or trickery. And in that system, it's very simple. What, what I did was say, um, if you're a fourth level magic user, you roll a d6, and if you equal your number or lower, it, it works. Or if rather, not fourth level magic, if you had four magic. And whatever the number of, uh, whatever the die number of the successful die was the sort of power of the magic. So if you, if you were fourth level and you rolled a three, you could do three damage or it'd last three turns or, or something like that. Um, now, I had a lot of people on Reddit go, kind of, well, one person in particular kind of lose their plot on this because they were saying, it's an incomplete rule system, I can't understand this. And I was saying, we well, just negotiate, you know. If you come up with a spell, you just say what it is, then, and they, they couldn't handle that level of um, uncertainty in the system. Whereas I'd be like, yeah, well, let's see. If, you're, if you want to cast Destroy World as a, with Magic 1, you know, <laughs> that's not happening. That's just, you know, so you're going to have to come somewhere in the middle there. Anyway, if you haven't seen my smart 1D6 rules like uh, uh, RPG system, it's on my blog, just Google for it. It's, uh, it's, it's incomplete, it's kind of fun. Um, it's one, so it, it would be on one page if I could, uh, if I sat down and, and distilled it uh, so it fit. Anyway, I digress. Anyway, the one thing I thought that you guys didn't say, which I thought you were going to say for a magic system is, it, it occurred to me when you started referring to as sort of equipment like arrows, you know, what about a usage die for magic? Has that been done? So level one, it's a D4 for first level spells. When you get to level two, it's a D6 for first level spells, but a D4 for second level spells. When you're third level, it's D4 for third level spells, D6 for second level spells, and a D8 for first level spells. So that way you can encourage people to use a plethora of different spells. So you're not you're not you're not saying, oh well, I've only got three spells, so they're all going to be magic missile. You've got that D8 at first level, so you could therefore maybe extend into the kind of ventriloquist spell because you you know you've got a d8 so you can risk it um that sort of idea um so i'm, I'm not too familiar with the usage die but uh, i've sort of picked up from your conversation how that works anyway i've witted on long enough so i will leave it there all right thanks very very much for that in interesting talk and there's definitely some systems there i've never heard of okay cheers then mr henchman thanks for calling in quite a lot to unpack there um I want to focus in on your talk about the usage die with magic. It it does crop up in the black hack, but not in the way you're talking about. I quite like this idea that the um, usage die is a, a pool of power or a pool of magic that you're drawing from. And as as you level up, you get a, a, a bigger and bigger usage die. I'd certainly try that out in the system. I think it could be pretty fun. And... Um, when it's gone, perhaps you, you you regain it the next day or whatever mechanism you want to use for refreshing your dice. Or maybe it's just gone. I don't know. Um, that seems kind of harsh. Um, yeah, good suggestion. Thanks for the call in, man. And next up, we have an email from Bob Hanks over in Australia. Thank you for sending us an email, Bob. He says he's a new listener and is loving the podcast already. Thank you very much for your kind words. He just wanted to let us know his two cents regarding the feeling of British RPGs. Bob thinks this is a subjective viewpoint. To him, it's more of an aesthetic thing and possibly a shared sensibility. He doesn't know if that's the case. It's merely the way it appears to him. And next up, we have another email. This is off JM, and he gives us a few thoughts to start off with. Jay says, I agree with your slating of Arian Games' reissue of Dungeoneer and Black Sand. 
black sand especially was awful but i'm sure you've already worked out jay we're not a tremendous fan of it he then goes on to say your conversation about defining british rpgs was interesting as someone in my mid-30s i hadn't quite grasped the importance of some of the 70s slash 80s cultural touchstones what I would say is that these days it would be difficult to tell a British RPG from an RPG designed in any other country. This is partly due to more universal production values and standards, but also a bigger cross-cultural awareness. National differences are probably clearer for a poor RPG than a good one. The possible exception is anything dealing with the Victorian era, where British creators tend to take a more grimy and nuanced, maybe even ashamed approach. Jay then goes on to ask a couple of questions. He says, I haven't really played any OSR games, partly because I missed them the first time round. I have, however, played Dungeon World, which is a story game that seems to capture everything the OSR strives for. Have any of you tried Dungeon World? And his second question is, one RPG element that seems to have disappeared by the 1990s is the expectation that players will solve puzzles or riddles. Do you agree with that assessment? And if so, what are the pros and cons of including puzzles and riddles in your games? And next we have a voicemail from Rob, a.k.a. Menian, of the podcast Confessions of a Wee Timorish Bushy. So, take it away, Rob. Hey, this is Menian from Confessions of a Wee Timorish Bushy. All this talk of 5e is making my making me waver um, as regard to my stance towards that system. But I must admit, I do like I do like the basic rules, the, the free rules that uh, Wizards of the Coast makes available. And uh, there are there's plenty of room there f to strip it down and uh, simplify even further or to add, you know, depending on the needs of the group. So, yeah, it's um, makes sense. I, I see where you guys are coming from and it does make sense to sort of stick to the basic rules that that are uh, currently being uh, used and, and understood by the community at large. So I just wanted to share that thought with you. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Manion. Good to hear from you and I'm glad you're wavering on the latest edition of D&D. It's an edition I enjoy. I'm a big fan of D and D. I've played, I think I've played most of the editions, in one way or another. Even if it's sort of like one play, I think with uh, with fourth. Uh, of course, I still play other editions. I still play some BX and um, uh, Beck Me stuff like that. But I really like the uh, the basic rules that Watts have put out um, it, it's it's simple it seems streamlined I find it works nicely for me I take what I want and I leave what I don't want and that's how I approach every rule set um, I uh, I'm glad you hear what what we've been saying about you know this is this is the D&D that has kind of made made the hobby popular again I, f I think that's fair to say and um i think it's a shame where some of the older players are kind of turning their their back on it uh, you know fair enough they've they've got their reasons but 
it's almost like um, an us and them thing, and uh, I, I don't really like to see that. So I've, you know, maybe yeah, I'm just trying to keep up with the cool kids or whatever. But yeah, yeah, um, check it, check it out. Let us know how you get on, and I'll, I'll be interested to to hear more from you going into the future. Take care. I'll catch you later. And that is a wrap at the Purple Worm Podcast Studio. Closing up the mailbag for now. But remember, it's always open for future episodes. If you've got something to say, you want to contribute, you know, follow the usual channels. Leave a message, send an email, whatever you're most comfortable with. Really appreciate the feedback. It's important as a kind of creator, as a podcaster to get this inspiration and uh, uh, ideas from the folks that are listening. And I hope you're enjoying these episodes. We're putting out uh, the call-ins as a bonus episode currently. Whether we carry on doing that, who knows. But really, really grateful for all that feedback. In the meantime, look after yourselves. Later.